I strongly believe that these developments are in the interest of justice for Mr. Floyd, his family, our community, and our state. And our country. Thank you, Mr. A.G. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Mr. A.G. of Minnesota. I got the feeling that something right. Not that corrupt A.G. of the U.S. I'll fall off my chair. That guy's the worst. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle oh, with you. Oh, they're everywhere. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding, Round Mountain uh, uh, on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where they were voting on Tuesday... Uh, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, in Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and the great Twin Cities of Minneapolis, St. Paul. Of Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950 KTNF. You see how exhausted I am? We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, uh, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com thank you very much for joining us today as we try to make sense of it all and i'm not kidding just within the past 15 minutes pretty much everything that i had planned to discuss today desi doyan (laughs) has been completely changed completely overturned everything is upside down indeed it's uh it's another news tsunami day welcome to it uh glad you could join us here today and once again as yesterday our apologies if you hear uh helicopters and or sirens uh, at any point throughout today's show we are not far from protests that are happening right in the heart of Hollywood, uh, where folks are marching and protesting peacefully today following the uh, killing, the police killing of George Floyd last week in Minneapolis. There are big crowds in Hollywood, huge crowds downtown Los Angeles uh, outside of City Hall today. Although there is uh, just a few things to celebrate in truth in that matter, as uh, you heard at the top of the show there, that was Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison announcing that charges have been uh, changed, uh, added and changed in the death of George Floyd. Officer Derek Chauvin has seen his third degree murder charge changed to second degree murder by the attorney general. And the three other police who were involved in uh, holding down George Floyd as Derek Chauvin snuffed out his life by choking him with his knee on his neck for up to nine minutes. Those other three officers have now also been charged with aiding and abetting murder 
in the second degree in that case. That is uh, happened just before airtime today. Our own Ernie Canning wrote a little bit about all of this earlier today at bradblog.com prior to these new charges being brought as he was looking at the independent autopsy report and saw that, in fact, uh, those other cops, at least two of those other cops uh, who had their uh, pressure on George Floyd's back, that the independent autopsy found that it wasn't just the pressure on the neck that appears to have killed George Floyd, but also pressure on his back making uh, those other cops culpable, at least according to Ernie Canning. You can check that out at bradblog.com. That's just one of the still-breaking stories as we go to air. Uh, Here's where I had hoped to start. Ferguson, Missouri just elected a black woman as mayor. It is both the first woman and the first African-American to represent that Missouri town as mayor, the town where Michael Brown, a young African-American man, was gunned down by a white police officer some six years ago, sparking nationwide protests at the time in a case where the cop who killed Brown was never held accountable for that homicide. Also on Tuesday in elections across the country, a nine-term white supremacist Republican congressman, which... Almost sounds redundant these days, Desi Doyen. Is that uh, outrageous of me to say? In you know, any event? to be honest, yeah. these days, no. No, okay. Uh, well, that nine-term white supremacist Republican is uh, Steve King. He was ousted in the Republican primary on Tuesday in Iowa. So he will no longer be in Congress, at least, after this year. Both of those points were cited last night by our friend, and election journalist Ari Berman of Mother Jones, uh, who added the comment, this is why voting matters. He is right. And we will have more on Tuesday's elections and what results we actually have in a bit, along with the uh, great progressive U.S. House candidate expert Howie Klein of Down With Tyranny. Uh, after about a dozen states held presidential primaries, uh, congressional primaries and various local and municipal elections on Tuesday amid pandemics and protests somehow or another. But first, speaking of the protests in the wake of the uh, killing of George Floyd last week in Minneapolis and our tough guy president, who I told you yesterday was almost certainly bluffing. Just to play tough guy in his threat to unleash federal troops on U.S. citizens across the country to quell what he regards as unrest because, uh, well, he always does. He always bluffs. He's a bluffer and a coward. He's he's both of those things. Well, you will be shocked to hear that today, uh, in fact, uh, he was bluffing reportedly. Other than ordering some federal troops to use tear gas to clear a few peaceful protesters in front of the White House and on a, a on a priest at her church so that he could get a campaign photo op, bravely holding up a Bible for some reason on um, Tuesday, Monday, I've lost track, <laughs> uh, in front of the uh, St. John's Episcopal Church across the street from the White House on Monday to show how tough he is. Other than that, AP reports today that after threatening states that he would dispatch the military to quell protests, President Donald Trump appeared to be privately backing off of those threats. Oh, what do you know? The shift came as protests in D.C. and other cities over police brutality against minorities proceeded on Tuesday with relative calm. That was a contrast to the harsh crackdowns outside the White House on Monday night, which, however, 
uh, those crackdowns did succeed in creating even larger protests outside the White House on Tuesday. Surprise! Yeah, despite a fence that was built overnight around Lafayette Park to try and keep the protesters out. Well, today it's being reported that police in unmarked uniforms, so we can't know if they are federal troops or not, they probably are, have now uh, pushed those uh, growing, that, the, the growing protest perimeter another half block away from the White House and from its cowardly occupant. Though another one of those reports as we go to air that I haven't had time to look at, I've only seen the headlines, uh, is that protesters have breached the temporary fence near the White House complex, prompting Secret Service to move Trump to a secure bunker once again. Oh, he's going to be mad. Who's he going to take it out on this time? In any event, uh, he had wanted to make aggressive action in the nation's capital on Monday night, an example for the rest of the country, according to a senior White House official on Tuesday. I don't know what example, an example of how not to handle a peaceful protest. If so, job well done, Mr. President. (laughs) Pentagon documents reviewed by the Associated Press show plans for soldiers from an Army division to protect the White House and other federal buildings if the security situation in the nation's capital were to deteriorate and the National Guard could not secure the facilities. Well, that makes sense to defend the White House. Okay, that's understandable enough. But the interest in exerting that extraordinary federal authority appeared to be waning in the White House as a handful of Republicans expressed concern that law enforcement officers risked violating the protesters' First Amendment rights. Thank you for noticing. Moreover, Trump's own defense secretary distanced himself from Trump's decision to uh, walk across Lafayette Park for that photo op. Pentagon Chief Mark Esper, who walked with him to St. John's Episcopal Church on Monday evening, insisted he had no idea where the president was going. He said, I didn't know where he was going. Uh, He said he expected to view damage to a bathroom facility that had been vandalized in Lafayette Park across from the White House and to talk with National Guard troops there. But Esper now says he opposes using military forces for law enforcement in containing the current street protests which on Monday Esper had described as, quote, battle zones during a conference call with governors. His new tone, however, seems to be an apparent attempt to tamp down threats from Trump, who warned governors that he was willing to send troops to, quote, dominate the streets. Guess I should note to dominate the American streets. Uh, That was Trump's plan. Uh, Yeah, anyway, uh, less than 48 hours after he had threatened to use the Insurrection Act of 1807 to contain protests, Donald Trump and uh, Mark Esper, uh, well, Esper said it should not be invoked against Americans, that it should only be used in the most urgent and dire of situations. He said we are not in one of those situations now. That was Esper, not Trump. Don't know what Trump said. He's down in the bunker. At uh, Trump's encouragement, Esper had already authorized the movement of about 1,300 active duty army units to military bases just outside of D.C. They had not yet entered the city, and defense officials said that some of those troops were beginning to return home to their bases on Wednesday. 
And uh, originally, I had hoped to ask, uh, where's the mission accomplished banner, Donnie? You're blowing this. You you look weak. Are you back down hiding in that uh, White House bunker again? But yes, we know that he is, in fact, hiding down in that White House bunker again. And one of the other stories that has since changed in the last few minutes is that Esper reportedly has changed his mind. About sending Yes, again, about sending those troops who are now in D.C., sending them back to Fort Bragg down in North Carolina or wherever they were coming from, probably because Donald Trump heard about, uh, you know, heard everyone calling him a coward for bringing the troops up and then sending them back. And now he's going to keep them there. And who knows? Uh, incredibly, or, or maybe not so incredibly, I don't know, uh, Donald Trump's press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, compared Trump's moment holding a Bible, it, it, that photo op in front of the church, uh, after federal stormtroopers had gassed peaceful protesters and, and, and the priest who works at that church. Uh, she compared that to Churchill inspecting the bombing damage during World War II and to George Bush speaking amid the rubble of the World Trade Center after 9-11. Yes, it was just like that. How brave of him to hold up that Bible. What a courageous act after your thugs have gassed peaceful protesters and priests and seminarians. In any event, administration officials were privately acknowledging that Monday's events did not serve the administration well. Some Republican lawmakers who are usually in lockstep with the president or who at least refrained from publicly criticizing him said that Trump had gone too far in appearing to use force to clear the way for his visit to the church. So not many of those lawmakers in truth and their critique was pretty weak where it came. The strongest we could find uh, appears to have come from Nebraska's Senator Ben Sass. He said there is a fundamental, a constitutional right to protest, and I'm against clearing out a peaceful protest for a photo op that treats the word of God as a political prop. But while most Democrat, most uh, Republicans, I should say, did not say a word about the federal takeover on American streets, including an attack on a priest and threats to dominate American cities with U.S. military troops, all of which, by the way, had any of this happened, any of this would have resulted in immediate impeachment proceedings for any Democrat who ever tried something like any of this, had had they even considered it, we would already be in impeachment proceedings. In any event, even Pat Robertson, who is reportedly still alive, (laughs) He actually condemned Donald Trump for his behavior on his Christian Right TV channel on Tuesday. You know, there's a purpose of everything under heaven we read in the Bible, and there's a time. And it seems like now is the time to say, I understand your pain. I want to comfort you. I think it's time we love each other. But the president took a different course. He said, I am the president of law and order. And he issued a heads up. He said, I'm ready to send in military troops if the nation's governors don't act to quell the violence that has rocked American City. Matter of fact, he spoke of them as being jerks. You just don't do that, Mr. President. It isn't cool. 
Chad Robertson. It isn't cool, Mr. President. Well, he's right, but it's just funny hearing Pat Robertson say it. Jack, uh, John Nichols, not Jack Nicholson, but John Nichols of The Nation uh, tweeted out uh, that comment last night uh, along with uh, the remarks, how flat out fascist do you have to go to lose Pat Robertson? We now have the answer. Former Vice President Joe Biden, remember him? The uh, presumptive Democratic presidential nominee, he said of Trump posing for the photos uh, holding up that Bible quote, I just wish he'd open it once in a while. Oh, snap. And, uh, well, it was Attorney General Jim Barr, uh, William Barr, who reportedly gave the order for law enforcement to clear out the protest before Trump's walk, according to AP. But what authority exactly does Bill Barr have to order federal troops to take down peaceful protesters and seminarians at a church? What authority does he have to order the military at all? I know. I don't really understand that. But all of the, all of that underscores, uh, as uh, TPM's Josh Marshall noted, the fact that Bill Barr is the most corrupt attorney general in U.S. history, hands down. Uh, in related and uh, for a change, uh, good news, I think, from this administration, one Pentagon policy advisor, James Miller, has resigned over all of this from the Defense Advisory Board in a rebuke of Secretary Defense Secretary Mark Esper's role in the violent dispersal of anti-racism and anti-police brutality protesters in his resignation letter. That was obtained by The Washington Post. Miller denounced Esper, quote, visibly supporting the excessive crowd control measures, calling it a violation of the nation's top defense officials oath of office. Miller said that he himself had sworn an oath of office for his now former position, uh, which bore him responsible to support and defend the Constitution. Remember that? Uh, he wrote in his resignation letter to Esper, you recited that same oath on July 23, 2019, when you were sworn in as Secretary of Defense. On Monday, June 1, I believe that you violated that oath, adding that he feared Esper uh, may be asked to exploit U.S. military power by wielding it in ways that, quote, further undermine the Constitution and harm Americans. As a concerned citizen, Miller also cited comments Esper made on, con on a conference call with the president and the governors on Monday about dominating the battle space of American streets. In some other news from our pathetic president, and frankly, he is pathetic, meaning he is really embarrassingly uh, sad at how desperate he is these days uh, as his unprecedented failures as president just becomes clearer with each uh, waking minute, Trump on Tuesday um, has, uh, well, claimed he's threatened to withdraw the Republican National Convention from Charlotte, North Carolina on Tuesday night if North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper did not guarantee that the convention space could be filled at full capacity despite the need for social distancing among the continuing COVID-19 pandemic, you know, in hopes of keeping Americans from dying after more than 105,000 of them have already been killed. Thanks in no small part to Trump's gross incompetence, more than 105,000 Americans in just the past 90 days under this president. 
Trump tweeted, Governor Cooper is still in shelter-in-place mode and not allowing us to occupy the arena as originally anticipated and promised would have showcased beautiful North Carolina to the world and brought in hundreds of millions of dollars in jobs for the state. Because of the North Carolina governor, we are now forced to seek another state to host the 2020 Republican National Convention. Perhaps another state that doesn't mind if a few thousand more of its own citizens die. And citizens, of course, who come from all over the country to attend these uh These conventions in response, Governor Cooper in North Carolina posted a statement uh, declaring that, quote, protecting public health and safety during this pandemic is a priority. He says we have been committed to a safe RNC convention in North Carolina, and it's unfortunate they never agreed to scale down and make changes to keep people safe, protecting public health and safety. During this pandemic is a priority. Now, we'll see if Trump actually chooses another state. I'm not entirely sure he has made good on that threat yet, as is being reported. As noted, he often backs off of these threats. So we will see. Um, Cooper's office stated that uh, at the time that Trump originally made this threat, That North Carolina was relying on data and science to protect our state's public health and safety. Data and science? What? I know. What's that? But convention planners were apparently caught off guard by Trump's demand to pull out. They were having civil conversations, apparently, with the North Carolina governor about how to hold this conversation in the middle of this pandemic. But after Trump issued that threat last week, originally Republican leaders in Georgia, Florida and Texas all eagerly offered up their states as alternative hosts for the RNC. But we will see. Parties choose states for their conventions generally where they think that they may need to, you know, goose the electorate a little bit. For example, Democrats uh, had scheduled to hold theirs in Milwaukee, at least before the covid crisis. Uh, after they had barely lost, reportedly lost the state of Wisconsin to Trump for the first time in decades in 2016. So it's you know critical that they get the Badger State back in their win column in 2020. So that's where they're going to be holding, uh, or at least we're planning to, we don't know now, uh, to hold the uh, DNC. North Carolina has been one of the most closely divided states in the union over the last three cycles presidential cycles. Obama barely won there in uh, 2008. Romney won in 2012. Trump won it in 2016. But at the same time, on the same ballot, the state elected uh, the Democratic governor, Roy Cooper. So Trump really needs to keep North Carolina in the red column. And so, you know, while choosing a state for the convention may win you some votes, pulling out of it may also lose you some votes, some votes that Trump cannot necessarily afford to lose in North Carolina. So he may want to think about this carefully. Not that he thinks about anything carefully or at all. (laughs) Uh, On the other hand, he is also now at risk of losing uh, previously reliable states like Georgia, Florida, and yes, Texas. I saw a new poll there today that had Donald Trump up by just one point over Joe Biden. So, you know, he may want to think twice about uh, canceling in North Carolina. And, you know, I wasn't going to, well, I don't think we're going to have time. Uh, I wanted to play this video, which came out a few days ago. Maybe we'll do it tomorrow from the Lincoln Project. Um, I wasn't going to play it because it, well, it focuses 
on uh, the ad is called the flag of treason and it features the Confederate flag is waved by Trump supporters now all over the country. Um, but it comes from the Lincoln Project, which is a group of Republicans, including Bill Kristol and George Conway. Yes, White House senior counselor Kellyanne Conway's husband, George Conway. A lot of people have seen it, uh, so I wasn't going to bother to play it. It's an excellent ad. But as it turns out, ABC 11 WTVD in Raleigh-Durham is now apparently refusing to air the ad, saying that it is too inflammatory, uh, according to the Lincoln Project today. So, you know, I was sort of planning on playing it. Because, well, if it's too inflammatory, I guess, and, you know, the ABC affiliate is keeping people from hearing it, maybe we ought to. Sure. But we can't now. Not enough time. we ain't got enough time. <laughs> too much time going on. That, maybe yeah. tomorrow. Um, hey, uh, by the way, speaking of elections, don't know if you heard. Seriously, you may not have heard. Uh, there were big elections in about a dozen states on Tuesday. So let's get to that and the great Howie Klein to make some sense of... Tuesday's pandemic-based and protest-dodging elections, if that's even possible at this point. Quick break, and we're back with more on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. I do love you, Philadelphia, but uh, do better. That's all I'm saying. Welcome back to the breathless edition of the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com with nothing but breaking news and trying to keep up with it all, uh, including helicopters overhead as there are continuing, if completely peaceful protests, big ones out here in Hollywood uh, today once again and in downtown Los Angeles and all across the country. But hey, we had presidential primary elections on Tuesday in Indiana, Maryland, Montana, New Jersey, New Mexico, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Dakota and D.C., along with congressional primaries and local elections in those states and in others, including Missouri, Idaho and Iowa. Uh, on Tuesday, Joe Biden now is on the cusp of formally securing the Democratic presidential nomination after winning hundreds more delegates in primary contests on Tuesday that tested the nation's ability to run elections at all during a pandemic and with sweeping social unrest. We don't know how many uh, delegates Biden actually won. Don't think it will be enough to lock down the nomination until next week as West Virginia and Georgia hold primaries next Tuesday. I'm sure those will go well. Both of their, those states are holding their um, 
presidential primaries next week, so now is a great time to make sure you've got your absentee ballots from both states and you can return it to a county headquarter by uh, that date. What is it? June 9th next week. If if you don't, please get busy, people in Georgia and West Virginia. I can't do everything for you here as much as I'd like. On Tuesday, however, voters across the country were forced to navigate curfews, health concerns, National Guard troops, and waited in line for hours after polls closed in some cases where voters were unable or unwilling or unallowed to cast an absentee ballot after election officials dramatically reduced the number of in-person voting sites to minimize the spread of the coronavirus. Yes, that is still very much a thing. In case everything going on right now has convinced you otherwise, voters were forced to brave long lines in militarized zones because officials consolidated the vast majority of polling places in Philadelphia in hopes of minimizing health risks. Uh, that, according to Aaron Kramer, the executive director of One Pennsylvania, who noted that some polling places in African-American communities are in police stations. Way to go, Philly. That's really, really not encouraging. Kramer said having to stand in line while police officers are entering and exiting the building on police business is not exactly how people want to spend their election day. I should say not, especially not right now. In any event, Bernie Sanders is not actively campaigning for the Democratic presidential nomination, having suspended his operation and endorsed Joe Biden. But his name appeared on the ballots. His campaign advisor, Jeff Weaver, has been encouraging progressives to vote for Sanders to help maximize his influence in the direction of the Democratic Party. But in many cases... Final results of Tuesday will not be known for many days because there were so many absentee ballots cast and that they may arrive late in uh, in several states. So we are still learning a lot as we move forward about what did and didn't happen on Tuesday. For example, uh, in D.C., people were still voting hours after the polls had closed and at least three and a half hours after a curfew in D.C. had gone into effect. So, yes, voters were actually dodging curfews as well. But uh, let me hit just a couple of points here before Howie Klein joins us uh, in Missouri. In fact, as I noted at the top of the show, Ella Jones becomes the first African-American and the first woman elected to be mayor of Ferguson, Missouri, where uh, protests were uh, sparked Four, six years ago, after the killing of uh, African-American Michael Brown by a police officer there in Montana, Congressman Greg Gianforte, the Republican congressman who ran for his first term in Congress three years ago and beat up a journalist. Remember him oh, on yeah. the night before the election <laughs> and then lied about it before he was caught uh, from a by a Fox News crew of all people who were there and witnessed the whole thing. Well, Donald Trump endorsed him anyway. He won that night, even after beating up a journalist. He won re-election in 2018. And on Tuesday night, he appears to have won the Republican primary for governor of Montana to fill the seat being vacated by popular two-term Democratic governor Steve Bullock. Gianforti will face uh, Lieutenant Governor uh, Mike Cooney, who just won the Democratic primary on Tuesday night in the state that went for Trump by 20 points in 2016. But elected Democratic Governor Steve Bullock that year anyway on the very same ballot. 
For his part, Steve Bullock easily won the Democratic nomination for the U.S. Senate to run against incumbent Republican Steve Daines in what could turn into a bit of a surprise Democratic pickup in the state if recent polling showing Bullock doing very well against Daines, uh, if that holds during a presidential election where Trump won by 20 points in the state. We'll ask Howie Klein about that in a bit, I hope. Uh, but the biggest story of the night so far is in Iowa, where... Randy Feenstra defeated nine-term Republican Congressman Steve King in the GOP primary. King, of course, is a white nationalist who has become a pariah even within the Republican Party. So that is saying something. And it's also saying something uh, that Feenstra defeated him, as um, uh, uh, Taniel on Twitter Reported uh, last night, he explained that uh, King lost the GOP primary to a man who attacked him on airwaves for not being an efficient enough lawmaker to get Trump's wall built. He's to the right of Steve King. Correct. Oh, my God. Fiends will run against Democrat J.D. Shulton, uh, who we had as a guest on this show a few weeks back. He is a progressive who ran unopposed for the Democratic nomination in Iowa's 4th District in what is considered to be a very Republican district. In uh, the Hawkeye State, we will ask Howie Klein about that as well. He joins us next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. The broadcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. <laughs> it ever was welcome back to the bradcast brad friedman from bradblog.com joining us now is our friend howie klein creator of the long-lived down with tyranny blog he is co-founder of the blue america pack dedicated to raising small dollar donations to help elect progressives to office and the man who knows uh, more about u.s congressional races than just about anyone in the nation I'm saying it, hands down, I'm calling it, it's Howie. Well, in any event, he certainly knows more than me, although that is not saying much. He's also, and many folks don't know this, uh, so I like to remind everyone occasionally, he's a former big-time Hollywood record executive who, yes, was behind some of that bumper music we just used from David Byrne and the Talking Heads, also Madonna, as I recall, and others before, for some reason, putting all of that behind him to go for the big money as a progressive political blogger. Welcome back to the broadcast, Howie Klein. Thanks. I feel very welcome, and I hope you've um, re uh, recorded that introduction because I would like to give it to everybody who puts me on the radio so they don't have to do it, and, you c and just use your voice, since that was the best introduction yet. And <laughs> uh, unlike many of them, it yeah. was very... Um, uh, accurate. Accurate. Okay, good. Well, we uh, we pride ourselves on that, Howie. As I know do you. By the way, do you miss those uh, music days, or has this uh, wonderful dystopian political nightmare uh, we all now find ourselves in uh, been much more fun? I don't like that uh, either-or thing there. Uh, <laughs> not miss uh, my time in the music business, although I look back on it fondly. Yeah. And in terms of this uh, dystopian, etc., 
I do not find it fun, but it, it is uh, stimulating. All right, good. Well, let's uh, keep stimulating everyone here as we move into elections uh, on Tuesday. And I got to admit, Howie, I'm having a hell of a time keeping up with everything right now, including Tuesday's elections and the problems surrounding voting for many people in many of these states who held elections, uh, as well as who won and lost. And of course, in many cases, we don't know because absentee ballots are still coming in from uh, many of the states, which expanded vote by mail, thankfully, to keep folks safer, at least during the coronavirus. So let me just sort of open up uh, with this to you. What happened on Tuesday that matters and that we need to know about, Howie Klein? Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to start with some good news. All right. I'll, I'll thank a you lot, for that. a lot of bad news. Yeah, okay. From a progressive point of view. All right. So in Philadelphia, there's a very corrupt Democratic machine, and, and one of the heads of the machine, uh, uh, you know, like a, like a political boss, you might say, is a state senator mm-hmm. uh, named, uh, Lar- Lar- or was it? Yeah, well, it's Larry Farnese. So Farnese is awful, and some progressive kid out of the blue challenged him and i don't think many people took it very seriously including farnese mm-hmm. and uh, the guy's name is i don't know if i pronounce it right it's nick uh, nickel saval mm-hmm. or nickel saval i'm not sure uh, in any case uh nickel beat him and not only beat him but beat him in a landslide now they're still counting votes but the the disparity between them was so high mm-hmm. that this morning ap called it for saval so that, that's a really big deal because it really helps to, to further smash up this corrupt political machine in, in the biggest city in Pennsylvania. So very good news. That is good news. And uh, you're right. It is corrupt. It is terrible. They've moved to this uh, unverifiable voting system. They're still apparently sticking with it, these touchscreen systems, even though they failed so miserably there last year. There were more problems with them in Philadelphia. Nobody really understands why they're doing it, other than the uh, state attorney general did find that the company from which they bought those machines, ES&S, lobbyists from that company apparently spent millions of dollars whining and dining the uh, Philadelphia election officials. So that might explain it, and it sort of goes along with your uh, comment about the corrupt machine that is Philadelphia. Uh, So there's some good news. Now, uh, Howie, that's an example of a progressive who has never been in politics before saying, you know what, I want to unseat these establishment Democrats, something that we saw Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez do about two years ago. Right. He was never in electoral politics. Mm -hmm. He was a a real heavy-duty agitator, like a... You know, street-level political agitator. So that's politics, too, but he had never been elected to office or even run for office before. Well, so a lot of people look at that story. They look at AOC and they think, hey, all I got to do is sign up to run. I'm progressive. Get me a Twitter account and I can unseat one of these establishment Democrats. It doesn't seem to always work that way. No, it, it, it most it not. I mean, it almost never works that way. It, it's so rare that it happens. Uh, first of all, the amount of work that you have to put in to being a successful candidate is is beyond what most of these people uh, who you just described uh, even imagine, mm-hmm. let alone can do. It, it really takes a lot of effort and a lot of talent. I mean, whatever you want to say about AOC, uh, she's an incredibly talented mm-hmm. woman and brilliant as well. And, uh, you know, I mean, when I sp- spoke to her for the first time, the very, very first time I ever talked to her, I was sort of like, you know, 
a jerk, as usual, uh, telling her, oh, well, don't worry, you won't win this time, but if you get your name recognition up, maybe you'll win next time. And she gave it to me, but good, and said she has every intention of winning this time. And I, I was not, uh, you know, convinced. And I said, well, you know, convince me, show me how. And mm-hmm. she did exactly show me how. She put her whole game plan right, on, right out there. And I was so shocked and, and awed by her that not only did we endorse her, which we were going to do anyway, but uh, Blue America um, actually did an independent expenditure for her, uh, a large one. I don't even know that she have, even knows this. So we're not allowed to coordinate it with campaigns. But we were the only organization in the entire country, nobody else, mm-hmm. that, that did uh, uh, an, any kind of independent exp- expenditure for AOC. And that, that's a rare thing for us to do. We do them occasionally, maybe one or two per year. Mm-hmm. But we did it for her because she, was, she convinced me that she was, her plan was so brilliant. And then over the course of the next few months, I saw her putting her plan into operation. And suddenly I thought, She's gonna def- no one knew this. And I realized she was going to defeat the third most ranking Democrat mm-hmm. in the House, the guy who was scheduled to become the next speaker. And, and I saw it was, it was happening right in front of my eyes. Even the night of, of, the, of, of the vote counting, I was looking at it. And I, was, I was looking at the votes come in. I'm thinking, no, they're getting it backwards. He's getting those votes, not her. And then I thought, oh, maybe the votes are all coming from Queens, uh, from the Bronx, I mean, mm-hmm. where she's from. Mm-hmm. And then the Queens part of the district will come in and then it'll flip. Nope, she won in Queens. She won in the Bronx. She won everywhere. So what I'm trying to get at, though, I went off on a tangent, is that you have to be really, really first rate to, to take out an incumbent. And it, it almost never happens the first time. I mean, it did with her, but it's very rare. Even really talented, top-rate politicians like Donna Edwards in mm-hmm. Maryland or Alan Grayson in, in, in Florida mm-hmm. did it two, in two, two times. No one, almost no one does it the first and time. It's, it's not, really rare. And it's not just a, a progressive thing. I mean, it's really uh, any candidate taking on an incumbent, and especially a lot of these folks who have no political background or no, no background in political office. We saw something like that in, uh, in Baltimore last night. I don't mean to uh, jump over your uh, good news section. I know you might have some more there. We'll get back to it. But in Baltimore, House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer had a progressive challenger that some thought or had hoped might, uh, you know, turn into an AOC situation. Any luck there in Baltimore? No. I mean, although, I mean, the goodish, the good news, mm-hmm. Michaela, Michaela Wilkes, who was the candidate, was a very good candidate. It was her first time running, and she made headway. So she got more votes against Hoyer than any Democrat had ever gotten before in any primary. So, she, so that was something. And what it really does, I don't know for sure if she's going to do it or not, is it sets her up for next time, which is, was a, is a reasonable supposition. I, I never discussed it with her. I should, and now especially I should. But Michaela was a great candidate. She very much was watching the AO, uh, AOC pass mm-hmm. and, trying, and trying to use that against uh, um, Steny Hoyer the way AOC used it against Joe Crowley. It fell short, but, you know, she, did a, she had a good campaign. Who's to say that she might have won if there was, uh, she could have like put her plan into operation, you know, by going door to door like they they were planning to do in mm-hmm. a fairly compact district, and you can reach everyone in the district by knocking on doors, and that was her whole plan, not her whole plan, but that was a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And of course, along comes the pandemic, and that has changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and and Steny Hoyer has never knocked on doors and doesn't knock on doors, and that's not part of his campaign. But, but I, I'm not trying to make excuses for her, because mm-hmm. really what you said is more the rule 
uh, and uh, unfortunately, then the exception. And we saw all over the country progressive challengers to incumbents go down, and establishment candidates, whether they were uh, progressive or not, uh, win. The uh, you know, for mm-hmm. example, you know, there was a really good state rep in Montana. There is he's still a state rep in Montana uh, named Tom Winter ran a decent campaign, although it's a gigantic state. And then the other uh, person, who's, uh, I can't remember her first name, but a woman named uh, Williams, mm-hmm. uh, was a candidate last time. She lost last time, and she decided to run again. And she's just, uh, you know, she doesn't stand for any, she's nothing. She's just a garden-variety Democrat. She's not conservative, necessarily. She's certainly not liberal. She's just an establishment thing who will sit in the back benches and do whatever the leadership tells her to do. She's at literally like 90% of the, or I don't mm-hmm. know, 70% of the Democrats. She's just nothing. Mm. Just a nothing. <laughs> well, so she beat him, and she beat him by a lot because she had the backing of the establishment. And that, that we saw everywhere. Everywhere where they had these, uh, these primaries yesterday, that was the case. Now, there was also, uh, on other levels, lower levels, if you will, there were some victories uh, for progressives. For example, in uh, Washington, D.C., Janice Lewis-George, a self-identified Democratic Socialist, she upset incumbent Brandon Todd in the Democratic primary for a seat on the city council. Todd was an ally of the D.C. mayor, Muriel uh, Bowser, who previously held that seat. So one direction that people might consider, you know, who are considering running for office is not necessarily running for the U.S. House or the U.S. Senate or President of the United States first time out. <laughs> but some very important decision-making is done at the at the local level, at the city council level, even at the, you know, the, the Board of Education level. Or the state legislative level, yeah. like, like when the colleges won. Oh, in Philadelphia, yeah. I don't disagree with you that that's sometimes uh, a good idea to to run for, uh, you know, to get some experience mm-hmm. in government. Some of, the, some of the best members of Congress right now are people who know how to work across the aisle and, 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 and put together a bipartisan bill that can pass. And when I say bipartisan, I just have to define it as not meaning what the blue dogs and the new Dems call bipartisan. To them, bipartisan means you just agree with whatever the Republican says and you call it bipartisan. A bipartisan bill is when a Democrat and Republican get together and they figure out what's good for their constituents and that that doesn't do any injustice to their own values. So in other words, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, bills that just help people uh, and don't don't stray into ideological uh, situations. And the people who know how to do that are almost universal, not always, but almost universally, former state legislators. Like a master of that is Ted Lieu, Mm. who learned it in the state senate here in California. Another person who does it amazingly well, Pramila Jayapal. I mean, you look at Pramila Jayapal and you think, well, she's the head of the Progressive Caucus. She is, but she knows how to work across the Mm -hmm. aisle, work with Republicans on bills that aren't going to offend their ideology, but that are going to help their constituents as well as her constituents. And and I always admire members of of Congress who know how to do that. And that's something that you can learn when you run for city council or or more so when you run for state legislature. Now... Best members of Congress come out of state legislators, legislatures. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, Let's, uh, before we run out of time here, of course, I think the biggest news of the night was out of Iowa, 
where, uh, what's his name, Randy Feenstra, apparently, has defeated nine-term uh, Republican white supremacist U.S. House member Steve King in a very red part of the state there, though one that has been devastated by uh, coronavirus, uh, as it has a lot of meatpacking plants, a lot of farmers who are facing some very difficult times right now because of that, because of Donald Trump's trade wars. What what do you make of the defeat of Steve King? And uh, can his Democratic challenger, J.D. Shulton, who ran unopposed on Tuesday night. He was on this program a few weeks ago. Does Shulton have a chance to uh, flip that seat from red to blue this November? Yeah, well, Shulton came very close last time, within three points. Uh, So he's well-known now throughout the district and well-liked. People like him. He doesn't come across as, even though he's very progressive on issues, he doesn't Mm -hmm. come across in a way that, uh, that offends them. So independents love him, as do Democrats, and even some Republicans who aren't ideologically tied to Trumpism uh, like the guy. So, yeah, he has a chance. But as you said, it's a very red district. But on the other hand, you also mentioned something else, that it's devastated. Iowa, by the coronavirus, mm-hmm. Iowa as a state has done very badly in this thing because they have a terrible governor and Kim Reynolds, a Republican governor who's awful. But the counties that have more people per capita sick with coronavirus per capita than Spain or Italy or, or, or anywhere in the world, those counties are almost all in the 4th District, King's Old District. Mm-hmm. So, you know, believe me, those people, when they hear Trump or, or Reynolds saying it's a hoax or that it's not real mm-hmm. or that you don't have to wear a mask or all their nonsense, these people know very well because if someone in their family doesn't have it, one of their friends or colleagues has it. So they're not taking that. So I'm hoping that that tragedy is, is, has the silver lining of helping to elect J.D., who would make an, uh, an incredibly good member of Congress. Uh, Feenstra is, is a state senator, so he's got a record. Mm-hmm. He, is, he is in no way a reform Republican in every way, just a you know, very conservative shill for Trump. He's, he's just nothing. Trump, Trump, in fact, was so happy because he thinks that now that Feenstra's in there, the Republicans will save this seat. Which may happen. I, I don't know. I mean, the Republicans poured an immense amount of money into this campaign. Rep- Republican groups really, really wanted King out. They were embarrassed of him, and they're, uh, they're, they were pretty sure he couldn't uh, keep the seat. So now it's going to be an interesting fight. I mean, Democrats uh, have, a, have an opportunity to take a very red district. And it's going to, a lot of it is going to depend on how big the wave is, how much more Trump screws up. But I, I think that the anti-red wave that's coming is going to be enough to help a candidate like J.D., mm-hmm. who, again, remember, this is the second time he's trying, so that means a lot. Right. And he's a very hardworking, talented candidate with a good staff. You know, his team is impeccable. So... I feel good about it. Well, we'll see because I'm because I'm I'm pretty sure now that Donald Trump is not going to be screwing up anymore. So I think it's going to be uh, <laughs> a, a, a tough road for Democrats uh, between now and November. But it, you, it raises a quick point here. You know the the idea that Republicans will now have to defend a seat. And this guy, by the way, this guy Feenstra, apparently the way he ran against Steve King was by saying that Steve King was not tough enough for the border walled was not effective enough in getting the border wall so he's not exactly you know to the left of steve king not necessarily at all. not at all to the 
left. Uh, but the fact that Republicans now are going to have to be defending seats in places like Iowa 4, where Steve King, this right-wing bigot, has held the seat for 20 years, does that help, essentially, Democrats elsewhere when Republicans have to sort of put their resources into playing defense like this all over the country? Of course it does. Exactly what you just said. That, you know, the, the, the I would estimate they'll spend three, four million dollars there. Mm. Well, that three, four million dollars could have been used to attack a Democrat mm-hmm. who's in Congress now or to use for another Republican who is trying to get into office. That, that money is not an infinite amount of money. Even Republicans don't have an infinite amount of money to spend on this stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's really helpful. But the most helpful thing would be for, for J.D. to win. Very quickly, because i got to get out, I want to try to get two more questions in for you, Howie Klein. Um, now, I know you mostly cover the House, uh, but with Steve Bullock, M- Montana governor, now officially the Democratic nominee for the U.S. Senate in Montana, do you see that as, a, as him having a realistic uh, chance of unseating the Republican incumbent there, Senator uh, Steve Daines, in Montana, in a state that Donald Trump won by 20 points last time around? Brad, I'm so happy that you used the word realistic, because the inference there is that uh, he might not have a, a, a realistic chance. The fa- and, th- and that's really what is being said by all of the prognosticators, who, by the way, at this point in elections, are never right. They're always wrong. Right. And I don't mean they're sometimes right and sometimes wrong. I mean they're always wrong. <laughs> they never get it right this far out from an election. They'll get it right, in, uh, if not the first Wednesday in November, they'll get it right, uh, you know, a few days before the election, but they don't get it right this this far out. Right. Every damn poll that's come out has showed has shown Bullock winning. So I'm not saying that means that Bullock is going to win, although I do think he is. But that isn't what I'm saying now. What I'm saying is, of course, he has a realistic chance. He's a very popular governor. Montana has the lowest rate of uh, COVID in the country, and I think Montanans know that. And they they like and respect Bullock. And, I, and he's their governor now, and Danes has done nothing, and they see Danes, no matter if they like Trump or not, they don't see Danes as a dynamic figure in any way. All he is is a yes man, and I don't think Montanans like that. People don't understand that Montana is, is, is not a red state per se. Montana is, a, is, is really an up-for-grab state. You know, they, they have a, a mm-hmm. Democratic uh, governor. They mm-hmm. have a Democratic U.S. senator. It's not, it's not, it's not, and they've had a Democratic governor for as long as I can remember. Is, is it? Yeah, I think Danes is in trouble. Is uh, it, I've seen Democrats take out um, Republican incumbents before. It, and so is it unheard of that Montana could actually flip blue in the presidential column, or is that just ridiculous to even consider? No, I don't think that's going to happen, although, although, you know, the funny thing is, is that I, I, I was, when, when, when you called just now, I was reading an article in today's Washington Post about Biden, who seems to have turned a, a real leaf. I mean, I don't know if I can believe it or not. He's, been, he's had a pretty bad record of, since 1972. But uh, he's talking about a, a, a picture of a presidency that, that's amazing, that would, that would be you know, like a, 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 a continuation of the New Deal, which is yep. basically what Bernie wanted to do. Yep. I'm not saying he's identical to Bernie, because that's not, that's not going to happen. But he is talking about government taking a much more expansive approach to helping people. You know, this is an op- this right now. There's already when I was talking about how bad some kind of bar- bipartisanship is. Mm-hmm. There is already a move in the House 
there were 30 Democrats, all none of them real Democrats, all blue dogs and new Dems, and 30 Republicans, or garden variety Republicans, who who are now pushing an austerity agenda. They sent a letter to Pelosi and McCarthy saying we're going to have to do something about out of control uh, spending on Medicare and Social Security because of all the money we just spent. And this is the complete wrong way to do it. It, it, will, it has always backfired, but these are morons, so they wouldn't be blue dogs and new dems, and they don't understand. So, that, so they're pushing the exact wrong thing. But what Biden, who in previous iterations would have been one of them, uh, is saying the exact opposite, that the government has to come in and, and do a, uh, an FDR kind of a job now. And, hey, I'd love to see that. I mean, I have to be convinced before I change my mind and vote for him. But uh, this this made me wag my tail. Uh, good to know. Good to hear. You know, maybe uh, Bernie and those task forces they're having is rubbing off on them. And uh, frankly, given the coronavirus, given the worst uh, economic situation since the Great Depression, the worst pandemic since 1918, now, uh, you know, the worst uh, protests in the streets, the biggest protests in the streets that we've seen since the 60s. Biden has a lot of reason to say, you know what, let's. Let's change our approach here. We need a new direction. He has an excuse to do that, even if he was not running like that during the primaries. Howie, I got to get out. Always a delight talking to you. We will talk again soon. I know we got uh, two more elections coming up next week in Georgia and West Virginia. Oh, and Georgia's so exciting. Is it? W- uh, quick, quick. I'll give you 10 seconds. Why is it exciting? Because, uh, there, well, there are two sentences, but one of them is going to be contested next week. And there's a great candidate named uh, 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 Teresa Tomlinson, and she's running against, again, a nothing Democrat. And so that's exciting. There's, there's also a wonderful uh, a woman named Lisa Ring who's running for Congress in the Coastal District. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's, I mean, to me it's exciting when there are good people running. All Not right. when it's the D versus R. I, I don't necessarily care about that. Mm-hmm. Both of these are, uh, well, ultimately they'll be. But Lisa... Uh, was the candidate last time. She's going to probably win her primary. And, T- and Teresa is fighting against the establishment and seems to be, uh, she's neck and neck. Very good. We'll have you come back uh, next week then to discuss those disappointments the day after the election. <laughs> Howie Klein can be found at his blog, downwithtyranny.com. He is also the co-founder of Blue America Pack. If you go to his blog, you'll see a big graphic there for Blue America Pack. You can jump in there and support these progressive candidates that the Blue America Pack supports. That's co-founded by Howie and our friends John Amato from Crooks and Liars and Heather Digby Parton from Digby's Hullabaloo. So uh, jump in, support them all, play along at home. We'll talk to you soon, Howie. Uh, Much appreciate. Oh, and people can find you at downwithtyranny.com and on the Twitters at downwithtyranny. Thank you, brother. Thank you. You said you were tired. You are on fire. (laughs) I'm exhausted. Bye. Gotta go. Thank you, Desi. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Uh, Thank you for supporting our show at bradblog.com slash donate. Email me. I am bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I hope. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.